Yes, we are into March. February is over. January is over. December is over. The Ides of March. Beware the Ides of March. We've arrived. Today felt like kind of a spring day. It was uh, in the 40s, and it was really nice. So we are very happy you decided to join us today, wherever you might be. Um, Appreciate you tuning in to Jackman Radio. And if you haven't liked us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or our YouTube page, please go ahead and do that. We really appreciate that. Every like helps. Every share helps. Getting the word out, building up this podcast. Um, yeah, wow. We um, we watched quite the documentary last night, Mike, didn't we? Yeah, it was a. Uh, it's about a UFO cult. Yeah. You know. You, you know. Maybe. Yeah, it's a cult. Mm-hmm. It's a cult. Definitely. They got 100,000 members, roughly. It's the Raelian movement. Rael. Yeah, fronted by Rael. 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 Yeah, Rael. Raelians. His real name's Claude. He's a French dude. Claude. Yeah. Claude. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was I was surprised because so, so Mike, we we've been into or we've known about the Raelians since what high school? Yeah, we've had like kind of a weird affinity because he first came on the cult came on the radar when they claimed that they cloned a person. Yeah, they were working with a company called CloneAid back in like 2000, 2001, and they uh, they had said through the spokesperson named uh, Brigitte <laughs> that they had successfully cloned the first human baby. <laughs> <laughs> they had like press conferences that mm. got coverage. Really what it was was it was a fundraiser drive. It was a membership drive. Let's be honest. Publicity it's, stunt. It's like when NHPR or... Um, Who's the uh, what's the New Hampshire based organization that they, they they show the uh, like PBS yeah or or what's the uh, you know they play the concerts and then you try to watch your favorite classic rock band but then you get an hour long break where they're like with your pledge of five hundred dollars we'll send you a CD <laughs> and a free gallon of Poland spring water <laughs> was that NHPR or yeah, yeah I'm talking about those of course, of course the, I do the concerts you would see on TV yeah. It's just incredible. So this was on Vice, on Vice's YouTube channel. And, um, you know, after my work shift yesterday, I wanted to come down. You know, I worked till 9 o'clock last night. I work a couple of weeks, you know, till 9. And, um, you know, what do I want to watch? What are we going to look at? All right. Do you want to watch somebody being, um, you know, kidnapped? Do you want to wa- watch a, a, a docuseries about some kind of like Bayou pedophile ring? Do you want to watch something, someone being stabbed or shot? Or do you want to maybe watch something kind of nice about a UFO cult? Yeah. So I was all about it. I saw it. It's like an hour and a half documentary. And this guy who made it was this Israeli filmmaker. And he got an invite from Rael to their compound. And the Raelians, and uh, they gave him like an award. That was the hook. Like we're gonna, we're gonna give you a, uh, <laughs> you know, like a participate. Like I don't even know what you would call it. Just it's silly. It's ridiculous. We want to. The Raelians want to give you an award. They had previously nominated what Jimmy Carter, Madonna, Madonna. None of them ever showed up. He, he was actually the first. He found out he was indeed the first person to show up and get the award at the banquet. It was in front of like a thousand people. They were cheering for him. Dude, I mean, I would love that adulation. Could you imagine going to some banquet with all these beautiful women? I'd and go. This guy wearing this weird, he looks like a villain from Superman 2. <laughs> he looks like one of the, uh, you know, those three that fly. Yeah. I think it's Superman 2. Yeah. He looks like one of them. Is that the one with Marlon Brando? No, that's, oh. the, that's it's the original. Oh, Super- the original. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, Claude... Vorillian, in 1973, he was 27 years old. He's from France, the founder of it. And he, w- he was a sports car journalist, Auto Pop. He had like a, a journal magazine about cars and racing and stuff. 
it got to be pretty popular in that in that part. Yeah, it got some circulation and some people read it, but ultimately it failed. It, there was an energy crisis. There was an issue with oil. That's right. And uh, and the prime racing kind of went ceased Paul. racing and stuff. So that that kind of went belly up, and then he uh, he started this uh, this group. He claimed that uh, he was visited by the aliens, right? Yep, from uh, Elohim. Yeah, well, Elohim, Elohim. Is, is the god. That's the name of uh, the oh the Elohim are a group of extraterrestrial scientists who intelligently designed the human race. Right. So he was visited. Uh, he claims to have been taken to the planet of Elohim, where it was revealed to him that Yahweh is his biological father and that Jesus is his half brother. Years later, followers in Asia began to refer to him as the Maitreya, which in the Buddhist faith is the name of the promised one who will be the successor of the Buddha. I feel like he does what a lot of religions do that are a little bit smaller. Uh, you know, they haven't picked up the the traction of the Catholic Church yet, or Christianity, or um, you know, the Jewish faith, or or Islam. Just give it some time. What they do is they take components from all the other major religions and they put it into a blender and they put a little New Age salt, some uh, bath salts on it, <laughs> sprinkle it in that little bit of that uh, New Age music, that world kind of, you know, like Enigma playing softly in the background. And they just, they really, that's the that's the hook, man. Like Return of Innocence by yeah, Return of Innocence is playing and Rael comes in, you know. He's, he's, he's got these beautiful women from Japan there singing to him. And yeah, yeah. It's incredible. No, it's amazing. And he's had this grift going since like 1973, 74. Yeah. And it's just grown. So since the, the announcement of the cloning came out, um, they were not able to produce the clone. They uh, couldn't prove it. They have not yet. But, but the, Brigitte came out and said there's other clones that were made in other countries. They haven't produced any of them. And this was, you know, just around the time when Dolly the, the Dolly the Clone, uh, the, sheep. Was, the sheep was kind of in vogue. So I thought that was a brilliant marketing strategy. Yeah. When you think about it, like we bring in the clone, you know. <laughs> I think membership swelled to an additional five thousand at that time. That's incredible. So are they are they tax exempt or does he oh, yeah. is he just on gratis? With, you know, he, well what, it, the tith. What's the tithing process? I think ten five to ten percent of your income. Okay. Is what people pony up, okay. but you know, there's thresholds. There's seven levels. There's levels like any any good religion. What I like about the Ray Aliens is they're not like an end time suicide cult. They're they not don't su- advocate suicide. Not a suicide cult. They're all about pleasure, That's happiness, refreshing. love. Uh, you know, they're big into open, free love and sexuality. They've got compounds in Japan. They've got compounds in Africa and Burkina Canada. Faso. Yeah, so Canada. this is uh, 73 years old. Rael is still the face of one of the most controversial, perplexing, and fascinating UFO religions in the world, which claims over 90,000 members in 90 countries. Although skeptics suspect the number to be closer to 20,000, Mike. So that could be inflated. You know, a little Trump inflation. We have 100,000 members in the Raelian cult. It's unbelievable. I mean, you figure what's the population of Earth? Like, what, 7 billion? Yeah. That's not that many people. Yeah. I hope he doesn't get busted like the guy, um, what was it, Vasarian? The, uh, oh, the Vasarian great, over in that's Russia. That's the thing about Vice. Vice is like the death kiss for cults because Vice <laughs> Vice does a spotlight on you. Then a year later, you get busted up by the feds. Yeah. Vasarian was a, du- a guy who looked like Jesus who was from Russia um, in the late 80s who decided to get a cult going. And he had it going for a long time. And he told his members you can't engage in any kind of earthly vices like drinking, smoking, None of that. Meanwhile, he lives on the top of the fucking hill, dude. He's up there. Out in, like, Serbia or somewhere, and he's doing all those things. He has all the um, all the creature comforts. Uh, eventually, I think Putin shut him down, right? They re- Well, they arrested him. Yeah, they, he's, they he's they in jail? Yeah, they locked him up, which is too bad, you know? Well, Rael, we hope it doesn't happen to you. No, no. it's uh, And he just has, like, all these beautiful, like, women probably between 20 and 50 yes. years old who are, like, naked. Like topless, all the time, yeah. P- 
painted and wearing like new age clothes. Giving him flowers. Yeah, giving him flowers and back rubs and, and like just fawning over him and worshiping him. He's like, oh, I don't want to get another job. Instead of going on unemployment, I'm going to start a UFO cult. It's unbelievable, dude. Maybe we should do that and apply for I'm really here for 501C or tax exempt. You know? And um, yeah, so check that out. It was it's a great, great documentary. And um, what's it called? The Prophet and the UFOs or what's the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The uh, Go to Vice's YouTube channel. It's, it'll be. Yeah. Call up Vice and plug in like UFO and the Prophet. That's probably called. the best thing Vice has done in a long time. You know, Vice, once once Shane Smith sold out his share and it kind of got co-opted a little bit, it's just it, Vice has, has not been that great. But this is a great documentary, and I, I certainly enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally here for it. And if anyone asks or for whatever reason, Mike, I'm not able to give wishes for my, my final wishes for end of life, I want it to be Ray Alien. So whatever whatever they do for death. or ser- Ray Alien service? Yeah, yeah. So whatever, I don't know what that entails. I'll have to research that. I'll get back to you guys on that one. But that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and then uh, I also watched a, a film a little bit more serious uh, called Judas and the Black Messiah about um, Fred Hampton, who was the uh, head of the you know Chicago branch of the Black Panthers back in you know nineteen sixty seven to sixty nine. Uh, he rose to prominence after the death of uh, you know Malcolm X, and then of course MLK was killed in sixty eight. So Fred Hampton, he's a very young man. And, um, you know, he was doing speaking engagements. And what he really did differently was he really went out and spoke to the communities. He went to the Puerto Rican community, um, you know, the white community, the African-American. And he, he, he got support from all those communities and rallied them together and said, regardless of what your race or religion is, it's about your, you know, social, it's about your economic, what you're dealing with economically. We're all being treated unfairly by the police. And we all need to band together to try and, you know, make our lives better. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's a radical revolutionary. He was into Marxism and socialism. I mean, he was really, he, he died at 21 years old. And, um, you know, he had a baby on the way. And basically that story talks about how the Black Panthers were infiltrated through COINTELPRO, which was an FBI operation that was going on big time back in the 60s for any leftists or anti-war groups or, you know, revolutionary groups or, or, or you know, or whatnot. And, uh, you know, they sowed the, the, the seeds of doubt within the organizations and you had members pointing fingers at each other like, oh, no, that, that you know, you're a you're a you're an agent, you're an agent. And oftentimes they weren't, but they definitely had a couple on the inside. And it just tells the story of this uh, this, uh, you know, young black guy who was through circumstances and, and, you know, what happened to him. He was involved in crime and he was, you know, facing down six years in prison. But the FBI agent said, Instead of going to prison, you can you can help us. You can do something for us. So he had this guy infiltrate um, uh, Fred Hampton's chapter of, of the Black Panthers and get really close. He ended up becoming the head of security for Fred Hampton, yeah. and he was an FBI informant the whole time. And through his actions and the pressure that was put on him from the FBI, uh, it led to Hampton's assassination, you know, gunned down in his bed at night. And, uh, you know, there were all kinds of altercations between the local police and the uh, federal agents in the Black Panthers, but it's an interesting, interesting, well done movie, and it's it's based on. A, I mean, it's a true story, and the guy who was the informant, his name was Bill O'Neill, and he ended up staying as an FBI informant even after Hampton was killed into the 1970s, and he only gave one interview to a documentary that came out in the late 80s, 
Um, I think it aired on HBO, and the night that it aired, he ended up committing suicide. Really? His name was Bill O'Neill. So, so he had remorse? Yeah, he had. Now, they that movie we watched with Sasha Cohen and um, Michael Keaton playing the att- former attorney general, they touched a little bit on Fred Hampton. I think they did in that movie, yeah. That yeah. was, uh, is that the Chicago 7? Chicago 7. Yeah, this is all takes place in, in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the anti-war movement and the Black Panthers, man, they they were re- they had real suction back then. That's back when there was an anti-war movement. Friggin' anti-war movement doesn't exist anymore. No, we don't have a real effective or large. It's just they did a great job at, at getting people to point fingers at each other and cannibalize these organizations from within the inside. And really, most of the time, they advocated nonviolence. But they'd get someone to show up to a meeting and, you know, they'd say, well, we need to go, you know, commit these. We need to go do a bombing. Meanwhile, they got the parts and the components for the bombing from the FBI agent to try and the then get, that, get that recorded and then use that as mm-hmm. evidence to, to, to have the person. Yeah. The FBI cooked the bomb. They literally cooked the bomb. <laughs> so it's, it's just an interesting, um, you know, story that it was only 50 years ago. And then his son was born a month after he was killed and. His um is his son still around? His son is still around. He's in his early fifties. He's part of the Black Panthers, and so is his former uh, partner. She's also still around. Wow. So yeah, that that's yeah. I don't know a lot about Fred Hampton to be honest. So I I didn't watch this documentary that you did, but well, no, it was it's a film. It's a oh a movie. It's a dramatic. Oh, oh yeah. okay. But yeah. yeah, I'll definitely want to check it out and, and learn oh, more worth about Fred sure. Hampton because for sure, COINTELPRO is uh, you know Cynthia McKinney's talked a lot about it. Um, and her research and, you know, former member of Congress. And that that's what, uh, you know, it's still happening. That's why I always laugh at these groups now. We have, like, Boogaloo Boys and Proud Boys and, um, you know, the, the, the Patriot movements. Antifa. Antifa. I mean, the, the FBI is in all of those, dude. They're crawling with them. And, and, and when they get, like, the dumbest of the goofballs of these groups, that's when they... FBI runs them and then sets them up for a plot. And that's what gets all the news coverage, and that's the face of what this, well, the so-called struggle or, or goal of the group is. Right. And well, the most radical and most cartoonish end up being the face of it. And then that just con- justifies the continuing appropriations and budgeting of the FBI and anti-terrorist task force and, and you know, Big Brother and all that. We need these tools to get these terrorists. I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the clowns out in Michigan that wanted to kidnap Whitmer, that was an FBI sting operation, right? There's been some information to suggest that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could you could probably pull up an article about that. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, anything. Whether Even even Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, yeah. you know, with the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, um, you know, there's... Uh, you know, uh, there was there was a great series on uh, Waco where they showed the the FBI. John Lake Wazamo portrayed, you know, oh, a yeah. government agent who was trying to befriend David Koresh and get in on on that compound, and and he was actually trying to deescalate because he saw what what his superiors. And that's what's great about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. They have they have Martin Sheen playing J. Edgar Hoover. Oh wow, he's ghoulish. <laughs> he's even more boorish than Leonardo DiCaprio's depiction of him. <laughs> I don't know how you could do, do a nice depiction of J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, it was good, though. Martin Sheen, you know, Martin Sheen's an interesting interesting guy. Um, but then they had uh, Jesse Plemons. They had Pinkman play yeah. the agent who was running the informant. And he's conflicted about it because he's putting pressure on this guy who committed a crime that's, you know, he didn't, the crime they brought him in for was like he stole someone's car, you know which obviously it's not the right thing to do, but you're going to make that guy an informant that's going to lead to an assassination. And, uh, 
Yeah, so it just shows you the pressure, uh, the bureaucracy and the pressure that gets gets put on people at lower levels to behave a certain way. And, and, and it reminded me of uh, the Malcolm X assassination. I mean, when he was killed, um, they set up a lot of his, the, like a couple of Malcolm X's bodyguards who were on the inside. There was an informant that pressured them to up the violence and push them more towards uh, a crime that would take them away from the ballroom where Malcolm X was speaking. So on the the day that Malcolm X was shot, they weren't there. So the security that he normally had wasn't there. So the, the, the gunmen were allowed to go in and have access to him. And one of the people up on the stage after Malcolm X was shot was actually later, you know, found to be a uh, uh, law enforcement official. Really? Yeah. So that's same with MLK. It's very interesting. So there's a lot of information about, you know, both assassinations and even Fred Hampton and, uh, you know, that you don't really hear. Uh, on a lot of uh, mainstream media sources. Yeah, I need to learn more about that, but uh, it's not surprising. No, it's not surprising. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, the report came out about Khashoggi, the Saudi journalist who was killed at the embassy in Turkey. And basically, it's all there that MBS, of course he was... Bonesaw's guy, his guy on the inside, MBS. ordered the killing from yeah. from MBS. yeah. And um, this report is now, you know, spurring 9-11 families to push because now Saudi Arabia is in the news again for terrible shit that they do. It gives 9-11 families an opening um, to appeal to Biden, to President Biden, um, you know, to release still classified documents about an FBI investigation into the Saudi role in the 9-11 attacks that was blocked from public release by Trump. Well, that's the thing. This thing's been kicked down the road since Bush. Yeah. So Bush obviously shut that shit down. Obama never did anything. He told uh, the Jersey girls, he told Kristen Breitweiser, one of the women who lost their husbands at the World Trade Center, I promise I'll look into this. I'll do something about this. Eight years in office, he never did shit. Trump gets in there for four years. He told a guy America you know. first, yeah. He, he told a guy you actually spoke to who lost, oh. uh, uh, he survived well, the world. Well, Tim, Tim Froelich from New York, who I met through Tulsi's campaign, he came up from New York City the day we filed for the primary here in New Hampshire. And he spoke because Tulsi was the only candidate and really the only national figure in American politics who was talking about Saudi Arabia's financing and their material support of the hijackers and their role in 9-11. So Tim came up and spoke um, after Tulsi signed on the ballot and got on the ballot and talked about all these things about Saudi Arabia's involvement and how at every turn, uh, Trump was stonewalling them and, and, and feeding them lines. He went to the Oval Office and met with Trump, and Trump whispered it into his ear. He said, it's done. We're going we're gonna to help you guys consider it done. He lied right to the family's faces. Because there's been, an, there's been lawsuits ongoing the entire time, almost right. 20 years, right. that, you, that you don't hear about in the nightly news that are still going on. And there's attorneys that are um, you know, looking at Saudi connections and, and filing suits on behalf of the families. And yeah, this is one area. Now that we're coming up on on uh, twenty years, yeah, they're hoping that maybe finally with this Khashoggi business, you know, the death of it's horrible, the death of one journalist. I mean, what happened is not acceptable. But right. what's been going on across four, you know, uh, presidents is also not acceptable. What happened to us, Ricky, on nine eleven? We got Shanghai. We got totally Shanghai. Straight Shanghai. And um, in a letter to Biden and Attorney General designate Merrick Garland, an advance copy. 
that was shared with Yahoo News. Family members say their lawsuit against the Saudi government for alleged complicity in the attacks has been repeatedly thwarted in recent years by the refusal of the FBI and Justice Department to turn over key documents. The letter will be sent later this week after Garland is expected to be confirmed. So they all know about this shit. For any of them to like feign ig- ignorance and say, you know, we'll look into this, they know about it. Well, what was the 2012 secret investigation? What was it called? Cyclone or um, I think I it's mentioned in that Yahoo article that we were talking about earlier. But I mean, this is even very, very early. We're talking late 2001. There was already. Yeah. I mean. The, the, side, the, the Saudi hijackers whose names were in the phone book out in California, that's been proven. That's, the evidence has already been shown that they were being aided by agents of Saudi Arabia. Also down in Florida, mm-hmm. you had that family that fled um, a gated community where Mohammed Atta, the lead hijacker who flew the first plane in the first building, uh, was seen visiting that this gated community. And you had the Saudi guy and his family. They took off like, like 11, 12 days before the attacks. You know, they left food in the fridge. They left a car in the driveway. Like, they took off because they knew what was coming. Right. And they fled. And there's never been any accountability for that. Yeah. That's just one thread. Right. And, and, you know, people choose to ignore it or just, you know, who cares? And uh, the letter, it says, We implore you to stop this travesty of justice and ensure that the Department of Justice immediately provides documents and cooperation we need so that we can finally hold Saudi Arabia accountable. States the letter signed by nearly two thousand family members of nine eleven victims. Yeah, that's not that's ins- that's not insignificant. That's some clout, man. Two thousand. We pray that uh, after almost two decades of seeking accountability, our struggle will finally end by the upcoming twentieth anniversary. Twenty fucking years of the darkest day in American history. We have waited long enough. They're just banking on Americans to have that TikTok attention span, and for the most part, we do. Yeah, and um. So yeah, uh, Tim Frolick was up here. I got to know him. He's a, he's an awesome guy. He survived the World Trade Center. He worked there. He lost a lot of friends and colleagues. Wasn't in, his in office buildings. near where the second plane hit? I think so, yeah, around that area. And then the other guy was a guy named Brett Eagleson, and his father died in, in 9-11 in, in the World Trade Center. So, you know, Tulsi centered these guys and, and, and you know, gave them the platform of her campaign um, to talk about their experiences and... and Talk about the stonewalling. No matter what administration was in power, Democrat or Republican, they all work in spades to to cuck this, to stop the, the shit coming out about Saudi. Keep the file secret. Yeah. They've, they've been doing it since Bush was in there. Right. So this has been going on, uh, yeah, across Bush, 20 years. Obama, Trump, now Biden. Right. We're talking four presidents. So what's the excuse? The excuse, oh, it's national security. That That's not, that excuse doesn't hold any water. No, it's cover your ass. CYA is what it is. Yeah. So, so hopefully this year there's more attention on it because there is whenever the 9/11 anniversary comes up right. there is a little bit there is more than you, you know usual um you know most people will say never forget but they don't think about it other than that morning for a couple well, hours Well they say never forget for one day. Yeah. But you know like Tim and Brett told me that you know they live this every day. This is their lives. This event 20 years ago changed the course of their lives. This is the reason we've spent trillions in the Middle East. Yeah. This is the reason why you know thousands of uh you know, members of our armed service have died and, and over a million in the Middle East have died. So it still is important. Yeah. So if you haven't looked into Saudi Arabia and their involvement in 9-11, you know, th- this this is a good place for you to start. Another great threat is uh, uh, J. Michael Springman, the uh, Jeddah consulate official. Um, he was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia from the late 80s through the early 90s. And what he actually witnessed was the United States 
flying in these terrorists from Afghanistan, from Saudi Arabia, from all over the world, and they were they were basically streamlined into the United States to train. They were trained by us and by our forces and by our you know the resources we had, and then sent back to to fight um, you know over in the Middle East, especially in the eighties to fight the Russians. Right. So this is basically like a, a, a terrorist visa express program. And there's a lot of great interviews with Michael Springman about that. I've I've spent time with Michael Springman. Yeah, we, we had, had him here in New Hampshire. In and his his part of the story is very important because the, the office that he worked in, uh, the consulate in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, was the very same office that, that many of the hijackers came through. And they had glaring inconsistencies, mistakes, errors, and false information on all their paperwork. And they were still allowed into our country. Yeah. So, yeah, with this Khashoggi thing, with that in the news right now and the world paying attention, uh, James Krendler, a lawyer who's been representing the families in the 9-11 lawsuit, said in an interview he believes that the Khashoggi report gives his clients new leverage to demand full disclosure of the still-buried 9-11 documents, including a complete copy of the 2012 FBI report into suspected links between some Saudi government officials and the hijackers. Last year... Then Attorney General William Barr and then Acting Director of Intelligence Richard Grinnell blocked disclosure to the public and families of that report's most important details, declaring them a state secret. I don't understand how our government can release the documents on the murder of one man two years ago, but not documents on the murder of 3,000 people 20 years ago, said Brett Eagleson, a spokesman for the families whose father was killed in the World Trade Center. So that's Brett, who I met, who came up here to New Hampshire and spoke. And uh, he's been fighting, man. He's fighting just for the truth about his father's death and the 3,000 other Americans. So, you know, if, if uh, anyone listening is, is, you know, wants to do something about this, call your members of Congress, write a letter to the editor of your local press, tell your friends and family about it because we wave the flag and we celebrate our troops and we never forget on 9-11, but then we do forget. Everyone else just forgets. And it's another day out of the year and we all go back to sleep and, you know, don't think twice about it, but um, it's all out there. So I'm I'm hopeful that there can there can be more disclosure and hopefully a path towards justice here. Let's hope. Yeah. You know, even if this information comes out, it's going to be like a, you know, sadly it will probably be it'll be a news cycle for a day or two and then on to the next thing. But one thing we're excited about to change topics a little bit is uh, summer concerts uh, and live events opening back up. Um, you know, Ricky and I are both musicians, and obviously we're we're itching to get back out there and play. But I'm really excited because there's two shows that were that I read about this week that are coming to this area. Uh, you know, Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, New England. You know, the New England area this summer. We got Matchbox Twenty and the Wallflowers are playing in uh, Guilford, New Hampshire, in July, and uh, Green Day, Weezer, and Fallout Boy are playing. Uh, I believe either at Fenway or Great Woods um, this summer, so I want to, I want to go to at least one of those, if not both. What do you think? Do you want to go? Does either of those interest you, Ricky? Yeah, I go to either one. I think they'd both be a lot of fun. That's that's rescheduled, right? Because Green Day and, and we they were all playing together before. And Matchbox Twenty and Wallflowers. They yeah, were, those yeah. yeah, those are both rescheduled. They're both rescheduled. Yeah, dude, I I would love this. I'd love to go to to all of those. Let's go. Do a, do a Jackman Radio field trip again. Yeah. No, I mean, that's you want to talk 90s nostalgia? Mm. Dude, Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20? I'm here for it. Dude, he's a hit machine. Like, yeah. Matchbox 20 in his solo career, 
hit after hit. What man. do you put Rob Thomas at now? About fifty. He's probably like four, yeah. He's probably like forty eight, getting near fifty. He's like forty eight, forty nine. I'm gonna say. Yeah. You know he iconic. He, oh, dude. I mean, he's. I mean, he had smooth with Santana. That's just one song. Okay, that was. I mean, that was a mega hit, dude. You want to talk <laughs> like Grammys? Then he had. I mean, Matchbox Twenty, man. He had Three A.M. Push. Uh, you know, uh, look how far we've come. So many hits, man. Then ever the same as a solo artist. Just a lot of really great music. So, hope. And then of course the Wallflowers. What's more '90s than that? I think Ricky was saying recently he was able to locate like a Wallflower CD. Yeah, uh, bring it down the horse. That's an antique from 97. Yeah, I bought a receiver from a record player from this guy a couple towns over, and he had a bunch of CDs. And he's like, hey, do you collect CDs? I'm like, yeah, man. And he's, he just let me go through. It was just a ton of 90s CDs. I actually got um, Bring Down the Horse by Wallflowers and uh, Matchbox 20's first CD as well. Oh, that's huge. You got them. Yeah, they're both there, the two acts that are They're free. Why not, you know? Dude, take them. Yeah. I mean, I, oh, yeah, we, we crave 90s, Mike. Yeah, at this point now, the 90s are, uh, you know, what, 20, 22 years behind us. There's a lot of nostalgia. We got Scream 5 coming out next year. We got, the, we got the big three coming back for Scream 5. Got a new Mortal Kombat movie. The Mortal Kombat trailer was sick. Dude, it's badass. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Jax, Jax is the guy with the arms, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. his arms get frozen off. Is he, I think he's played by Michael Michael Jordan, right? Is he? Michael B. Michael Jordan. B. Jordan? Yeah. Then the, he gets new arms, and he comes back to fight in the tournament. And they got friggin', what's the guy's name? Carl with the six arms? or Goro? It, Goro. Goro. <laughs> Carl, Goro. Yeah. Those were $5,000 sunglasses, asshole. asshole. Oh, Johnny Cage? Johnny, I don't know if Johnny Cage is in this one. I didn't see him. I don't think he is. I, I looked through the Wikipedia for the new one. I didn't see anything about Johnny Cage. We should put him in the sequel. Yeah, this is just only the beginning. They got Liu Kang, though, dude, and they got they have an actual Asian person playing uh, Lord Raiden. That's good. It's not Christopher Lambert. Oh, my God. Your brother's soul is mine. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I mean, they're, just, they're, they're rebooting everything at this point, and... Digging up, uh, you know, they don't have any new ideas really out there in Hollywood or, or the big studios. So, um, yeah, is that going to be coming out soon, Rick, this year? Or? Um, I thought it was like, yeah, sometime this summer. Yeah, that's that's going to be on the list. We're going to definitely watch that. And, um, yeah, we, we were talking earlier. Um, April, actually. Oh, okay. Just around the corner. Oh, yeah. Well, we're in March now, so that'll be here before we know it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then... Um, they're the new Ghostbusters. They're doing that this. I think they're going to release that this year. Um, they got you know Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, uh, Annie Potts to all film cameos of some kind for that um, because they did the they did the all female cast one, and I watched it. You know, I gave it a shot. I just I didn't really I don't know I didn't like it that much. Um, the blonde there was really funny who was on SNL, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, she's pretty funny. I, I like her. Yeah, I like her. I enjoy what she does. Her impressions are great, and she she's really funny. She was like, and uh, was it Melissa McCarthy? Yeah, I mean, it was, it had moments, but I think this this one that they're doing, the new upcoming one, they got the, they got the Stranger Things kid to be in it, and um, I think the old timers have more of a role in it, kind of closer to their original roles from the original Ghostbusters, so... 
I'll check that out. I'm looking forward to it. You know, there's just there's not a lot in the way of new concepts of movies and and ideas. Um, it's just a lot of it's tired and played out. Although, um, you know, Hereditary and Midsummer, I enjoyed both those movies. I enjoyed Midsummer a lot. Yeah. I, I didn't really care for Hereditary, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Hereditary was really fucked up. Like, it's a really, really, like, twisted movie. And, um, you know, both movies are kind of slow burns. I think Midsummer is a little bit more of a slow burn, but um, that... Uh, that filmmaker, Ari, what's his name, Mike? Ari Eister. Ari Eister, yeah. He has a new movie coming out that's going to have a little bit more humor in it. I yeah, think. so wait, yeah, what's what's his new project that's that he's got working on or coming out? That's really all I know about it. I think it's going to have a little bit more humor. Humor? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, Ricky, I enjoyed Midsummer. I mean, I've been to Sweden, so definitely I wish that I had maybe dug more into that, you know, and, and found a cult like that while I was out there. It was like a happy cult initially, and then eventually there's like a leg sticking out of a garden. Ooh. And somebody in a bare outfoot being burned to death. <laughs> but it was rapturous at the same time. That's the thing about a lot of these cults, like the Ray Alien cult, dude. Everyone's happy all the time. Yeah. Almost too happy. But almost too happy, right? I think all relationships should end like that couples did in Midsummer. I'm here for that. That's the catharsis. One of them's wrapped in flowers, the other one's burning up alive in a bear suit in a barn. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Why not? And if you haven't seen it, sorry if we ruined it for you. We saved you three hours. He's like, yeah, I, I saved you three, three boobless hours. Rosebud. So, so I'm going through the list of anticipated movies for 2021, and I, I don't even know how many there are here. I don't know, maybe 40, and probably like 30 of them are like some sort of sequel, reboot, or oh yeah, part of a franchise already. That's that just shows you, man. What is it, Mike? Straight out of ideas, you know. It's just, not straight out of Compton, straight out of ideas. You got uh, The Matrix 4, Spider-Man 3. Oh, my God. Um, Fast and Furious 9, oh. Mission Impossible 7. Mike. Um, now what a lot of these superhero movies are doing is they're doing multiverse. They're bringing in former uh, washed-up bat, you know, Batman and Superman. And they got Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck going to be in one you know, with uh, uh, The Flash. That's going to exist. And Rosie O'Donnell plays the Penguin. Yeah, it's just it's just various spin-offs inside the universe. Like there's one for Morbius for Spider-Man. Jared yeah, Leto playing Morbius. It Jer- actually might be pretty good. I'll tell you, I'm excited for Jared Leto coming back as the Joker. So I'm not. Snyder cut. <laughs> well, look, look, no, hear me, hear me out. It's yeah, going to be I'm, f- with, I'm with you, hum. It's going to be a 4-hour Snyder cut, okay? And it's going to be available next week, I think, on HBO. And uh Joss Whedon is no longer. He's been canceled. And rightfully, I mean, he should be. But Charisma Carpenter finally kind of like spoke her piece about him. Even Buffy, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar herself. Did Buffy kick him in the balls? Buffy put a stake in him, yeah. Good. You know, they said he created a hostile work environment. He was inappropriate with uh, uh, Michelle Trachenberg, I think, who was on the show. Probably everybody. She was like a young teen at the time. Like, they were like, don't leave Joss Whedon alone with this actress. It's like Harriet the Spy. Yeah, Yeah, they were on like all those Nickelodeon shows together. Yeah, hashtag Dan Schneider. Um, but no, I'm excited for the uh, Snyder Cut because it's basically a whole other movie, the stuff that was totally left on the cutting room floor. And we watched, you know, Justice League. Okay, so this is just this is Ben Affleck's world. This is, yeah, this is this is Batfleck. So should, should should we rewatch? What do we need? What what do we need to watch? We don't need to rewatch anything. Okay, we, we, we watched Justice League and it was like not, sucked. It's, yeah, it kind of sucked. Sucked, Ricky. Do you agree? 
I actually didn't watch it. Yeah. So so we can I think we can all agree that uh you know su- Suicide Squad kind of sucked. I'll yeah, tell they're, you they're making a, a sequel to that. It's called The Suicide Squad. I'll tell you what. Um Harley Quinn Birds of Prey. Yeah, the that Emancipation was, of One. I fucking love that movie. It was good. Ewan McGregor. That was a great movie. But Rosie Perez was like going along. Rosie Perez was like It was great. Yeah, Rosie Perez. It was hey. actually really good. It was that, it was really good. It was one of the best, you know, DC, DC. films. Wonder Woman was pretty good, but you know when you realize that the actress is just an IDF ghoul, yeah, you kind of yeah it loses its luster a little. It does bit. a little bit. I haven't it's seen too 19- long. Yeah, they yeah. could have cut out like forty five minutes. You wouldn't have missed anything. They had Claire <laughs> from House of Cards playing her mother or aunt or something. That was cool, I guess. You know, and 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 then they have the new one that takes place in nineteen eighty four, and they clone Christopher Pine and put a new wig on him, but it's not really him. <laughs> I'm excited for the the new Justice League because so so Jared Leto is coming back as the Joker, but but the Joker that they're going to do is going to be different than the one he did in Suicide Squad. He's not going to have the facial tattoos, the bling in his mouth. His hair is longer. Now, did they have him film new scenes and stuff? They did, yeah. Uh, Snyder actually filmed new stuff last year um, for this. There's going to be some new footage, and it's also just going to be stuff that was not included in the original Justice League film. So there is some actual excitement for this. I, I'm going to watch it. I, I'll be honest, I am looking forward to it. Um, you know, not, I'm not, not as much as I am the Batman with Robert Pattinson, with uh, yeah. Zoe Kravitz and uh, ba- Colin Farrell as the Penguin. And their baby. Yeah, supposedly Their they, baby comes out as the Penguin. They did it on the Batman. Yeah, what's, what's the dirt on that, Mike? I mean, this is what the internet says, so we can't... We're, we're speculating a little bit here, but supposedly... Matt Reeves, the director of the Batman, is not happy with Robert Pattinson. Never wants to work with him again. And uh, they blame COVID, but really, I think it was his lack of beach body filling in the bat suit. Yeah, you said he showed up and he was he was completely out of shape and just he had like, an attitude and had an attitude and maybe the thing is though, Robert Pattinson's a great actor. He is. He's, the d- he's the devil all the time. Did generation, it. one of the best of our generation. The devil all the time did it for me, man. That's 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 worth a watch. God, on Netflix. That, that did movie. you guys see the lighthouse? We haven't w- done. We haven't done I that haven't one yet. Watched that one yet? Did you? Uh, yeah, I did. That's uh, Willem Dafoe. Yep. Yeah. H- how was it? Um, I had to have subtitles on. <laughs> to understand what the hell they're saying. They're speaking the old man. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't like Willem Dafoe fart a bunch of times too? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was really scary, but I don't know. It's it's not something I'd watch again. That's Robert Eggers, the same director who did The Witch, which I really liked. Correct. I liked The Witch, which yeah. was good. The Witch was true, was horrifying. And then I think Eggers is going to do a Nosferatu, uh, his own version of Nosferatu, or he has another project. But he's actually originally from New Hampshire, so that's pretty cool. He's a New Hampshire-based guy. And um, no, I didn't see The Lighthouse, but they're they're now saying they might do a sequel to The Fog, which is a, a film I think The Lighthouse maybe took a little inspiration from. Carpenter, Adrian Barbeau up there. Yeah, is Carpenter going to direct it? Carpenter, yeah, maybe, maybe. Carpenter hasn't made a film. John Carpenter hasn't made a movie in over eleven years. How old is he, Mike? Carpenter is uh, seventy-two or seventy-three. Okay, and uh, he he's doing music now. Oh, his music's awesome. He he has a great trio of albums called Lost Themes, which is like you're, you're listening to it and you're like, was this from one of his films? Because John Carpenter also. Not only like writes and directs and produces his movies, he does the music. What and does it sound like? Might do some for the soundtrack. It's like it's really like cool, like nighttime kind of like space. Yeah, it's Lost Themes Two is really good, and he just released uh, Lost Themes Three with his son Cody, um, who also 
Easy Musician, and they tour, and uh, I would love to see them. So hopefully they tour again. And uh, he's kind of found the second act as a as a touring musician. It's really cool because he's not he's not so inclined to make another movie and be at the helm and deal with all the bullshit that comes with it. I mean, God. he doesn't really have to prove himself again. But I hope he makes no. another movie. No, he is involved with the new Halloween. Uh, you know, Halloween 2018, and then the one that's coming out in October of this year, and then Halloween ends, which is next year. But he's not directing it, but he's uh, he's helping with producing it and the soundtrack. So I'm here for it. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of the stuff coming, man, is just rehash. Probably 90%, right, Ricky? You're saying from that list for this year? Yeah, it's you got, you know, you got Spider-Man, you got James Bond... Yeah. Coming to America. Oh, that looks um, so bad. Black Widow might be pretty good. I'm interested in that. Uh, there's Godzilla vs. Kong. Lombardo's in Black Widow. Who? Oh. The actor from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks, looks like, like our friend Lombardo. Lombardo. What's his name? Opera. Uh, Opera. Cruella might be decent. Oh, yeah. Who's I playing Cruella? I saw that trailer. Uh, Emma Stone, right? Uh, Emma Thompson. Or no. Yeah, Emma Stone. Is it Emma Stone? Jules from Superbad is, is playing Cruella DeVille? I have to believe. Yep. Yeah, Emma Stone. They're probably going to CGI all the puppies. Infowars.com. They're going to get puppies to behave like that. So Associate Fast and Furious, Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters uh, Afterlife. Another Venom, another Minions. <laughs> Space Jam. With, with LeBron, right? With LeBron. I'm not even going to watch that on principle. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. No Michael yeah. Jordan and no Bill Murray? Forget it. Uh, new Candyman. I, I will say, I am excited for the new Candyman. Um, Jigsaw. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Candyman franchise. It's a based on a story by Clive Barker, which was called The Forbidden. And um, they changed a lot of things around, but the uh, the Candyman character, um, you know, it's like a uh, it's like an old folklore or a, a, a scary story that gets told and there's changes made to it. But the original Candyman, which came out in... Uh, I think 1992. It's really good. Really, really good. Really scary. It was on Netflix, I think, until recently. Uh, Tony Todd plays the Candyman, and it's it's just uh, the atmosphere, the, the the music. It's scary, dude. <laughs> it, it, it is scary. It actually is a really scary movie. It's it, 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 it's one of my favorite horror films from the 90s, and um, they did uh, Candyman two, and then he, Tony Todd showed up for the third one, which wasn't as good. Um, but I think for the remake. They're going to have, it's related to the first film, and the baby from the first film that the Candyman kidnaps is now an adult, and he's still living in the Cabrini Green neighborhood, um, you know, which is now being gentrified. So there's all kinds of really interesting themes um, that bring it to present day, um, you know, with related to police brutality and gentrification of neighborhoods and, um, you know, history of, uh, you know, African-American neighborhoods in that part of the city. Um, as well as, you know, folklore and myths and tales that get passed on from generation to generation and certain things are added to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you say Candyman five times in the mirror, and I remember, you know, back in the 90s, we we were afraid to do that, Ricky, and then and we would <laughs> dare each other. I remember I get together with friends or, or my cousin, and uh, we were just little kids, and, and the dare would be to shut the lights off uh in the bathroom or in front of a mirror and say Candyman five times and see what happens. And that's that we would freak each other out doing that. And this is, you know, before cell phones and social media. So 
I'm looking forward to the uh, Candyman. I guess it's a continuation, or I don't know if it's a... They're not even calling them reboots anymore. They're just... Just the same exact name. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like giving them like Predator, you know? We had had Predator, the original one with with, uh, Arnold, which came out in 87, and then we had the one from a couple years ago called The Predator, which was garbage. The but one it was I, I, the one thing I'm excited about Candyman is Jordan Peele co-wrote it, co-wrote the script. Yes, and I've, he does amazing work. I really liked um, Get Out. Dude, Get Out was so good. Get Out was really good. It was actually scary it, too. I, I thought it was scary. It was. It was brilliant. It was funny. It was satirical. It was timely, but it was also scary. And that's the thing about you know a great horror movie, a modern horror film, and that's why I love the Scream series so much, uh, which I've revisited recently. They're actually scary. Like, like the first two are actually legitimately scary, and they're funny, they're violent, um, and they they also provide like meta commentary on horror films. So that's why I'm interested to see what the the new screen will be. And Harvey Weinstein's not involved in this, this one. This is the first one he's not. This part, is one. <laughs> was he part of the last one? Oh yeah, one, two, and three. Yeah, three. Uh, there are four of them. Oh yes, and four. Yeah, four came out in 2011. Four. I you know I liked four. It had it had an interesting twist. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one is, is written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote the original. Dawson's Creek. Who also wrote Dawson's Creek. Creek and When are they going to reboot that? Dawson's mom's probably still hot. Probably. She's, what, probably 70? Well, you know. I'm here for the gilf. Joey and Pacey ended up together, and Dawson ended up watching it on TV, I think, right? Oh, my God. Right, Dawson, he be, finally became a famous filmmaker, but he didn't get Pacey. Wow. He had perpetual blue balls when they did their sleepovers. <laughs> we used to love that show, though. Yeah. Can we stream? Da- can we get Dawson's Creek anywhere? Where, I don't know. Where can we get Dawson's Creek? Coming up next on The Frog. Oh. Mike, Mike, The Frog. Oh, man. It's Friday night, dude. You got you got Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You got Dawson's Creek. You got, you know, whatever. Seventh Heaven. Those were good shows. I think it's on Netflix and Hulu. Dawson's Creek. Our devil. Oh, Dawson's Crack. Mm. You call it Dawson's Crack. <laughs> Dude, Paula Cole. The new Toyota. <laughs> family guy. Oh, yeah. we, we, we did this a couple episodes ago, but yeah. we call it up. We call it up, Mike, don't we? We love it. We live for it. God. We're just 90s children at heart, really, at the end of the day. And now 90s is like the new, like, um, you know, oldies, really. Nostalgia act. Yeah. What year, Mike, did the Beach Boys become a nostalgia act? 1970, 69, nice. 70. So you said that the other day when we were down on the South Shore. With I mean, think about it, you know. Our cousin Sheila and her husband Paul are huge Beach Boys fans. Yeah, and the Beach Boys are hitting 60 years officially as a band this year. That's happening. I, I, I hope they tour because we missed the 50th anniversary, um, you know, because we had jobs that could not afford us tickets for such things. Right. At that time. In 2011, 2012. But, uh, yeah, Mike Love, Al Jardine, and Brian Wilson, and uh, Bruce Johnson, and uh, David Marks are all still going. So I hope that they can bury the hatchet again, and, uh, you know, it could be like, a you know, the search for cash, or all you need is cash. You never stop needing cash. I don't care if you're a beach boy or a beetle or... You're not going to turn cash down. You always need money. And and that's what we were talking about uh, before at dinner. By the way, we had Paige and Ricky made steak tips, risotto, asparagus. Um, wow. What a dinner that was, Ricky. Thank you. You're welcome. It was, it was really tasty. Ricky's brand new grill. Yeah, he got a brand new deck. grill. 
So it was so many epic things. But we were talking about, Mike and I on the way here, we're talking about Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Bunny Men. Um, you said cash grab. He, uh, I don't think this is a cash grab, but, you know, some fans are saying this or some people on the Bunny Men uh, Facebook page. Uh, but Ian McCulloch has handwritten lyrics to The Killing Moon, their most popular One song. One verse, yeah. One verse and selling them for what, 50 pounds? So, yeah, 50, 60 pounds. Yeah. And you get it, you know, you can frame it, hang it on your it's wall. It's cool. Oh, it's really cool. It's yeah. like it's a collector's item. Right. You know, so so you were on there, Mike, and and people are on there just pissing all over it. Some of them saying, "This is just a shameless cash grab. It's cheap. Yeah, like it's beneath them. It's beneath what's the band. That all about? It's cheap. It's cheesy. It's like they haven't been able to tour for over a year. Touring is a huge. I mean, most of these bands they live off they, that. You have to tour. You have yeah. to go on the road. Even if you don't have a new album, you're still going to go on the road and you're going to play your hits and you're going to have a certain fan base that's going to turn out mm-hmm. and pay forty, fifty, whatever, hundred bucks a ticket for the live." Then you have the merch table, you know, so you, you, that goes away. What are you supposed to do? I mean, uh, honestly, let's be honest. A lot of these bands are not multi-multi-millionaires. They're not this big thing that you think they are because you got to pay a publicist. you got to pay a producer. you got to pay insurance. you got to pay lawyers and legal fees. You gotta, I mean, at the end of the day, dude, even though it's a song that you wrote. Right. And, and honestly, you know, the Bunnymen, a lot of their music has appeared on Netflix very extensively in the last like five years or so. 13 Reasons Why. 13 Reasons Why, Stranger Things. Um, uh, there's another show that came out that only did one season where the Killing Most Moon Most notably, on. Donnie Darko. Donnie, Donnie Darko, Darko is where it really kicked off. You know? A lot of people for the first time, especially in our generation, they call it the Donnie Darko song. Yeah, that came out in like 2001, I think. I remember renting that on VHS with Laura. That was the first time I heard it. Yeah, and and they play the Killing Moon um, at the beginning. The beginning, when, he's on his bike. Donnie's on his bike, which was actually supposed to be a song by NXS, and they couldn't get the the rights to the NXS song, so they put so Richard Kelly, the director, put in Killing Moon, and it totally fit and totally set the, made the movie. Let's be honest, the soundtrack really helped make that movie. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So that introduced a whole new generation uh, of Bunnymen fans, you know, in the early aughts, you know, because they've been around since 1978, so they've been around for over 40 years. Um, you know, my opinion, it is one of the greatest songs ever written. So, so a cool thing to do that Ian McCulloch decided to do was write the lyrics to one verse and then autograph it, and uh, have that's a special thing for fans. Yeah, I, of wish, any band. I wish we would have grabbed one. We didn't get one. They sold still out. Get one. They'll probably do it again. Yeah. But for these for these fucking people who are gonna like judge or make some pithy comment or or, or just call that like a cheap cash grab, like those people don't understand. They don't understand. Yeah. You know. I I don't ag- I don't agree with them because to me they just don't they don't seem like a true fan because like, what's what's the difference how's it any different than getting a signed picture or something right. or like Take going to like Comic Con or right. whatever getting a signed picture and you got to pay forty bucks or whatever right. I, I think it's pretty cool it's a pr- it's an experience yeah I think that's pretty cool you know you get get it framed hanging up in your office or whatever or your studio a lot a lot of people who are musicians purchased it and they have it they've sent in photos of it at their studio. Yeah, yeah. I, it's awesome. And it, it just to circle back, like you were saying, like because you know I'm I'm big into music too, and a, a lot of my favorite bands, you know, no one's touring, no one's playing shows, and I listen to a lot of punk and hardcore music, and they're definitely not as big as Echo and the Bunnymen. So, you know, a lot of them, you know, they they play in their bands, but they have jobs on the side too because, you know, they they can't support themselves, you know. So when they're not touring or selling merch or records, it's 
You know, you're not making any money. That's that's how you make money. You don't make any money streaming music because no. <laughs> the, the rights cents. Yeah, not not even. It's like a one hundredth of a penny, like one thousandth of a penny per stream. Here's my royalty check after after ten million streams. And then even then, that that gets split between four or five band members, and there's production like rights, penny. and there's engineering rights, oh and then God. it's it's a joke. Well, people don't think about that with bands. They just assume that oh, you must have millions of dollars and tons of money and the reality is a lot of these bands they they're just they're hard working and they're they're working musicians. They're touring and working musicians, exactly. And yeah. and band even bands like the Bunny Men, I mean, those guys are in their early 60s now and they're still going out there and playing th- you know theaters and clubs and And now Will Sargent, the lead guitarist, has said like, you know, look, it's afforded me a nice life. I've never had to do an office job, I've right? I've never had to work a regular 9 to 5 job, but you know. Right, but he's not a bazillionaire. He's not like doing a backstroke in in, in the shekels like Jeff Lynne is. Oh, the pound sterling backstroke. When Jeff Lynne was able to sue not I'm not just sue Ed Sheeran, but get a co-writing credit for one of Ed Sheeran's <laughs> songs. That's the that's the golden goose. Is okay. it, what is it called, Jeff? It's called the pound sterling backstroke. Now, it's an Olympic-sized pool? It's an Olympic-sized swimming pool full of pounds sterling. And in the morning, Jefflin wakes up, he has his toast and tea, he puts his robe on, which has an embroider that says JL in the ELO lettering, and he, he derobes and jumps into that Olympic-sized swimming pool of pounds sterling from the lawsuits. This is, not e- this is just lawsuits. No, this money. is lawsuits. It's not even royalties. It's not even Mr. Blue Sky and the million times that's been played on BBC One, Two, and Three. So... Yeah, yep. like Ricky was saying, a lot of these bands, a lot of bands I like also have day jobs. Yeah. And they make amazing music, but it's not enough to... The music industry has been so gutted and so... The transfer of wealth from the music industry has been taken from the small studios, the musicians, uh, the people who make it happen, and it's just been bastardized, and, and, and the money has been put you know, into other areas and avenues. Well, yeah, I mean, between you got... Record labels, you got streaming services, you got managerial services, then you have like promoters who are taking money as well. A and R, yeah. It's just like the whole thing's annoying because like when I was playing shows down in Dallas, it was or Dallas Fort Worth area, you couldn't book a show at any venue without going through a promoter. It had to go through a promoter. Like if you contacted the venue directly, they'd say no, you have to go talk to this promoter. And ninety nine percent of the time. You're gonna get screwed, and you gotta like buy tickets and pay for this and that, and it's you don't even get your set time depending on how many tickets you sell, and it's it's it was it wasn't like when we we're in high school, and if if you know we wanted to go play a punk show, we'd go to like the VFW or wherever and say, hey, can we rent this out for the night? And they're like, yeah, here's two hundred bucks, like don't break anything. And yeah, like, okay, cool. Do it exactly, and honestly, that's uh, that's the same way Eric and I have been approaching comedy for the last five years. I mean, we'll, we've done great shows at the VFW. Uh, we performed at, at the Legion, um, you know, a, a place in Peterborough that was a little more on the expensive side. Bass Hall. Yeah, but if you put up your own money or you, or Ricky, like you're saying, you get a group of bands or a group of comics together and you, you, rent, you actually rent that place out, you front that money. It's a real DIY type thing yeah. out of your own pocket. And you're like, okay, what's the, what's the seating capacity? What's our advertising going to look at look like? What should tickets be? And we always want tickets to be as low as possible. Oh, absolutely. Most of our comedy shows tickets are, are no more than fifteen bucks, ten, fifteen. I think the most was that you and I actually did was twenty dollars down in Somerville a couple of years ago when we had our cousin come from Michigan right. and perform with us, and that was that was awesome to say that we could we played Boston. But, yeah. but, but a lot of the venues they they won't let you do anything now without a promoter. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have a promoter, or unless the venue can determine all of the, all of the parameters of it. But yeah, if you don't work with the promoter, you don't get the legitimacy. You don't get the. You don't get in there. 
behind you. Well, a lot of times those promoters get, don't even fucking do anything. They, they just, do jack shit. Yeah, they, it's like, they, oh, I'm a promoter, and they don't do shit, and they, you got to pay them all this money. They got for their the hand tickets. out. They got their hand out in your face. They so. want twenty or thirty percent. Yeah, yeah, they suck. It's like I'll do my own promotion, and it will be better. I'll run around in the street wearing a man thong and cowboy boots with fucking leopard skin. I think for the next one you should do that. I should do that. Yeah, but you know, we did a show in in January with the Woodbound Inn and Ringe, and we, yeah. they, they really we we helped them out big time. I mean, they really. Yeah, it was a great with show. That gig, but you know, yeah. fifty people showed up in the pandemic. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just a different. It's different now. It is different, and that was that was our first show post, uh, COVID. Yeah, that, yeah, that we put together and produced. I'd really like to do a live, another live podcast. Yeah, have us do like a live podcast and just advertise it like that. And um, you know, once more vaccines, you know, go out and people are more comfortable with coming to a show, I'd like to be able to do a one hundred, two hundred person live comedy show, uh, live podcast. So really, the last podcast performance we did was twenty eighteen in Peterborough. We had about 90, 100 people show up, and that, that yeah. I really liked that format. That was fun. It's, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. Yeah, it's a little we'll bit different than traditional stand-up, but it's really what we're good at. Yeah. Tim Dillon just did a live one in Cleveland. Did you guys listen oh, to that? So good. <laughs> I didn't listen. Was it, it was good? No, it was <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> it was epic. I mean, it, that'd be fun, though, Humby, if we did this live in front of uh, an audience. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be good. We, you know, we could have cameos. I think people, yeah, you have a couple of bits planned, but really it's just it's just us. Yeah, just ri- doing this. Just riffing, just, you know, coming, I mean, have some planned topics. And I think having a visual is great, too. Having a screen. Like, I mean, mm. Jimmy Dore does the same thing that we've been doing. Right. Even before we knew who Jimmy Dore was, we had a similar method and a similar style where we would have a, a PowerPoint presentation or we'd have a screen with, uh, you know, clips or, or photos or an illustration and then... And then uh, talk about that. So we're yeah. very much looking forward to getting back out there and doing something live again. Absolutely. So I put out a uh, Instagram question to listeners, and uh, you know, one of my favorite people, one of our listeners, James Norby, sent a question, and he wanted to know. I'd be interested in your take on what party, Republican or Democrat, has seemed to handle natural disasters better over the past couple of decades. Texas has got me thinking about that a lot lately. That's so, a great question. Obviously, we wanted to talk about Texas opening up and Abbott being based, lifting the mask, the mask mandate, everything opening back up 100%. So, Well, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. That's where, I mean, I go back to 2005, Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. The Bush administration, I don't think, handled it that well. No. From what I remember, uh, Brownie was a horse breeder. Horse fucking dude. So the guy who was like jacking off horses was put in charge of FEMA. <laughs> yeah. You had the footage of all of them at the at the dome there, right? And the and the that was bad. I think Texas is unique because there's a lot going on there. Um, that that for something like that up here. I mean, we had that ice storm in 2009 where we lost power um, for an extended amount of time. But I think Texas is unique because they don't have the infrastructure to deal with the ice and snow like many of the states in right. the north do. And then. Their, you know, their whole power grid system is interesting too because they pretty much have their own system. Like they want to, you know, you know, how Texas is they want to secede and be their own country. I'm seceding. But that how you are. <laughs> but when something like that happens, they they turn to the the federal government for help, saying, "Hey, can you help us out?" <laughs> right, right. Yeah, everybody was mad at Ted Cruz. What was he going to do? Was he going to like be on a door like Kate Winslet in the Titanic and bring everyone else from Texas onto the door floating <laughs> in the water? Was he going to like? What was he going to do? I mean, it's not a good look. It's just a bad look. Yeah, it's yeah. bad perception. When you're one of the federal, you know, the U.S. senator representing that state in the, in the government, in Congress, 
You got to at least be doing photo ops, handing out fucking bottles of Dasani. Throwing okay. paper towels at people. Throwing the paper towels like the king did. Down with, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I think fuckery and mismanagement is a bipartisan occurrence. Waste. Yeah, I, I don't see either party really being that great. of. Ha- I mean, handling a nat- natural disaster, really what it is is PR. It's really just PR. What what kind of photo ops can we put the you know the said leader in with the backdrop of all the poor people who are suffering during the natural natural disaster? The ones who handle it the best are the ones who live in those states and in that area who know what they need. They know uniquely what their people need, and they band together as a community and they deal with it and they do it. I mean, look after Haiti after the earthquakes in Haiti. I mean, the Clinton Foundation and the government they di- they really didn't do shit for the people down there. Out of all the money they raised, how how many actually went to building houses? Very, very small amount. So, yeah, I think, you know, like what Eric said, um, both parties have certainly bungled uh, disasters, and but they've been able to come together for photo ops when it's necessary and when they need to look good and, you know, when there's a, little, a moment of solidarity that the people have. But unfortunately, it ends up getting exploited. I don't know. When, when you were in the military, Ricky, what, what was uh, what was that, 2005 to, to 7 or 6 to 8, 2006 to 08? Yeah, 6 to 08. So that was when uh, Bush Bush was still in there. Yep. I yeah. Think George W. You actually saw Bush, didn't you, at a golf course, or he was he went to an opening or something? No, or? he he did the groundbreaking ceremony um, at Bethesda Naval Hospital. I was at Walter Reed at the time, and they were doing a groundbreaking ceremony. I was I was probably like fifteen feet away from him. He's a pretty good golfer, right? Bush. Yeah. I have no idea. Probably he's not as good as Trump. But Poopsie's even said Trump's actually a good golfer. He used to be really good. I don't he, know if he still is. He he even cheated a kid though, Ricky. Like he was doing. There's a great book, um, which I want to read. Um, it got great reviews by a sports journalist about Trump's golf game and how he's just. He even lied when he was playing against a kid one time just for fun, and uh, you know would would drive around in the golf cart to places where you're not supposed to bring the golf cart, like on the field, and. Uh, even in the game of golf, he just can't tell the truth or or, uh, or do it properly or play by the rules. And, you know, that's, that's fun. We're here for that. You know, Eric, like when the king, he's over in Turnberry or he's, he's at Bedminster or, I mean, you're playing Donald Trump in golf, dude. You're going you're gonna to let him win. Even, you know, you're not going to Yeah, not gonna no, he wins. Lose. He yeah. wins every – I'm a great golfer. He wins every round. I think he's yeah. Poopsie was saying he he's actually got a good swing and he he was a good golfer, but maybe not so much now. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's one of the one of the better golfers we've had as president. I love that he chastised how much time Obama spent on the golf course, which is quite a bit, and then he totally obliterated that record like pretty quick, just in one term. I break records. I do. I break records. What do you think of his CPAC comeback, dude? The Conservative Political Action Convention. It was everything. It was a 90-minute, like, roving... He he hit the greatest hits. We knew what he was going to do, Mike, what he was going to say. He was going to cut down Biden. And you know what? I might just beat the Democrats for a third time. That, dude, the crowd that, went nuts. The crowd went apeshit when he dropped that. How about Lion Ted's opening act? Freedom! <laughs> I didn't see that. Oh. What an asshole. What yeah. a boob. Oh, his speech was... Ted Cruz, man, he's... He's deplorable, Mike. (laughs) 
he's probably going to run again in 24 or 28, depending on what the king does. And that's the thing, dude. Yeah. It depends on what Trump is like. They're all like looking at him like mm-hmm. they're hedging their bets, dude. Holly, Cotton, Nikki Haley. I don't think any of them would run against him. No, oh, no, no. No, they all no the best they can hope for is to be his fart bag or his VP pick. <laughs> His barf bag or his VP pick. Because it's not going to be Pence. Pence keeping a low pro. He wasn't at CPAC, right? If the king runs again or he's the nominee, it's not going to be Pence. I don't think it's going to be Pence as the VP. That's that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. It's close. I mean, these election cycles are getting shorter and shorter. Oh, it's happening right now. Do you think he's going to run again, Eric? (sighs) After watching CPAC and just knowing what I know about the Sultan, I think he's going to run again. Uh, you know, at first with with the insurrection shit and the impeachment vote, I heard some things Mitch McConnell said, and I'm like, oh my god, are they going to turn on him? Is the Senate going to like actually convict him? And then, yeah, McConnell said a few things, and then he McConnell fucking, said I would he, support him again. He right quick sutured his mouth to Trump's asshole. So I uh, even Mitt Romney, even people people losers like Mitt Romney are saying if Trump runs again, it's, he he's going to win the nomination. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the polls, the uh, the straw poll or whatever, oh, whatever you want to call it. Him and DeSantis, it. he was pushing seventy percent. The dude, king was, I think, dude, how great that would just the ghoul factor of of the king and DeSantis on a ticket. Come on, it might Mike. be unbeatable. And he set Florida up as his as his new like base of operations. Like they've pretty much abandoned New York. Like Ivanka and Jared Kushner can't go to New York and expect to. Go to the cocktail, you know, parties and and have the same reception. That they're they cut would. out of the circuit. Yeah, that, it, dude, I don't think Ivanka, Ivanka has the interest or the the desire to want to continue in politics or run for office. I see Don Jr. as the heir apparent. I do too. He's the pitbull. Uday. He's Uday. Yeah, Eric's Kuse. Eric is Kuse. <laughs> He's going to run one of the palaces, you know, Trump Tower, whatever it is. Um, but I think Don Jr. has got the fight. I think he's the heir apparent. I think he he enjoys. I mean, what was the he put up a Dr. Seuss post? Uh, yeah, now doc, that Dr. Seuss is canceled, he's been dead for however many part years. part of the culture war now. But they're no longer reprinting several of his books. I I don't even really know what that's about. I just you know basically when that kind of shit happens, I enjoy sitting back and watching the respective sides fall into their echo chambers and spew their shit, and just watch it. You know. Yeah, see how it unfolds. So outrageous. Rather than talk about like a real issue, like like the Saudi involvement in nine eleven and murdering a journalist sure. that worked for the Washington Post. Yeah, we'd rather fight about green eggs and ham. Fucking cartoon. I don't want it to be green eggs. I want it to be blue eggs. Yeah. I want it to be purple eggs and ham. I want it to be non-conforming eggs. Yeah, I want it to be scrambled eggs and ham, just like yeah. my brain after listening to that shit. I know. You're you're a little kid. You're like a third grader. Doctor <laughs> Seuss is everything. <laughs> Now he's a fucking Nazi? <laughs> what the fuck? You know, um, he's literally everything when you're a third Dr. grader. Dr. Seuss used to be like Santa Claus. You know, now he's like, like fucking Adolf in the bunker. I don't know, man. We're losing our minds over that, dude. How about Coca-Cola? Woke Coke. Coca-Cola telling their fucking employees to be, be less white. Meanwhile, they're exploiting indigenous people all over the world and people of color and... You know, getting water rights to all these places. Oh, yeah. Taking fucking over people. Their, their truck drivers are being assassinated. They're not giving them security. What? Yeah, yeah. What's that it, all about? This is Coca-Cola. Hey, look, and look, I like, I love. Oh, we love Coe. I love me a good Coe. But don't. Ice vir- cold, right? Don't virtual signal like that. Don't pretend to be like some upstanding company that actually gives a shit about people. Okay? You went from like 45 grams of sugar to 78 grams of sugar. 
I'm here for it. Pepsi still has more, right? I think so. Pepsi yeah. still tastes like shit compared to Coke, too. By the way, <laughs> I don't. I don't buy. I get Pepsi if it's like last resort. Yeah. I like Coke. I, I like Mia Coe. But above it all, though, Humby Doc Pepe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who owns Doc Pepe? Is it Coca Cola? No, they have their own. It's Dr Pepper Snapple. Wow. Wait, Snapple owns Dr Pepper? No, Dr Pepper's its own, but they're they're all part. I think they're all part of the same company. Dr Pepper. Snapple and Keurig, maybe. Where does Mr. Pib fit in? Where does Pib fit in all this? <laughs> yeah, we had the Pib recently. No, I know, it's man. Ri- it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, Any of these corporations that come out and they want to like interject into the into the fucking culture war and into all the stuff that's going on. Not only do they not even really know or have their finger on the pulse, they actually don't give a shit. And then John Brennan, Mike, you had a great line about John. Yeah, the Brennan. former CIA director, John Brennan, said, "I'm ashamed to be a white man." He's not ashamed about like the drone bombs that he ordered or the torturing or the surveillance of people around the world, you know, including American citizens. He's ashamed to be a white guy. How disingenuous is that? Yeah. I think it's a little disingenuous. Pibs made by Coca-Cola. Really? Wow. Dr. Pibs. Mr. Pib is a perfectly acceptable alternative alternative to Doc Pepe. When in a pinch, when you can't get it. When in a pinch. Yeah, every time I go to Longhorn, I get that. Or like we talked about last week, how we were all at Longhorn before Tim Dillon, and that was that was on the menu, Mike, the Mister Pib, and I'm, I I was uh, I enjoyed it, I really enjoyed it. But I'm uh, you know I'm having a few Bud Lights tonight, and then on Saturday we're going to Elm City Brewing in Keene, one of our favorite breweries, oh. the best wings in all of New Hampshire, best wings, and they have a Kolsch there, a peach Kolsch, which is I don't ever get creative. I get it every time. I don't get anything else. Unless they don't have it, then give me the raspberry Kolsch. Raspberry wheat. I'm sorry. You're right. Raspberry wheat. And if they don't have that, just give me a straight Kolsch. Yeah. I don't do the IPA fucking 7 million minute. The IPA monster. All that bullshit. The monster. I don't like any of that. I like Kolsch beers, lighter beers. But um, yeah, we're going going to go up there on Saturday. And uh, if you haven't been to Elm City Brewing in Keene, They've been there, I think it's 25 years now, or 20 years. They celebrated a uh, anniversary recently. They've been there for a while, but... Uh, yeah, 95. Okay. Oh, okay, 95. So, right, they did. They just hit, yeah, they just uh, hit 25. 25. Um, the staff is friendly. They're all real nice. They take care of you, and the food is really good. It's up at the Colony Mill in Keene, and uh, we got Poopsie coming up from Connecticut. He's making the trip. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna be there right when they open, Ricky, on Saturday. That's my uh, my new strategy now as a man in his mid thirties. I like to get to the establishment right when it opens, especially in the age of COVID, where I can get right in there and uh, get preferred seating and beat the crowds. Because you go to Elm City on the weekends, man. Even with the virus, there's you know there's a line. You're there waiting. You got to wait for a while. And yeah, I they're, they're not even doing takeout orders during peak hours. Can't no. keep up with it. Yeah, no, exactly. They're very busy. So we go there and we just get peach and wing. That's it. I don't get creative. They got, uh, you know, a barbecue wing, a buffalo, buffalo garlic. They got a great dry rub. They the got, dry rub's really good. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, the dry rub's good. And then also what, what sets Elm City apart is they they make their blue cheese in their ranch on site. It's all homemade. Scratch. Yeah, it's not some fucking Sodexo slop you know, that was sent in there on a truck. They make it their homemade. 
and it really just it just adds overall to the experience. So you get the peach, you get the wing, you got the ranch, because this is this is really an area where Mike and I really differ. This is one of the, our big differences. People say, oh, you know, you and Mike, you guys agree on everything. You you know your politics, your tastes in movies and music and and everything else. Mike is a blue cheese guy. He always gets the blue cheese, and I'm a ranch guy. I always get the ranch. So if you don't know the Jackman twins and you're wondering what a key area is where they diverge and they have some differences, blue cheese and ranch, Mike. That's our major ideological difference. Infowars.com. You always like to get a ramekin full of ranch, don't you? Mm-hmm. No matter what wing you get, they're all good. They're all good. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll, we'll, re- we'll give a full review. It's going to be incredible. Elm City's always good, man. They're always good. We've been going since the whole pandemic broke out, supporting them. Mm-hmm. One night when we had uh, we had a friend up from New York City, we were celebrating his birthday. We got ten growlers a peach, <laughs> and we drank them all. Yeah, we did. We drank them all. Another another cool thing uh, with Keen, actually, Recycle Percussion, the very famous New Hampshire-based band, um, who had a Vegas residency, and they were on, I think, America's Got Talent. We got a TV show too. Yeah, Chaos and Kindness. Yeah, it's they, a lot of fun. They're opening up a new store. They have one in Laconia, um, which they opened back in 2019. They're opening one up in Keene, New Hampshire. It's just been announced. So that'll be really cool to see that. They really help out the community. They do a lot of really cool and creative stuff. Um, they never forgot their roots. And uh, when they opened up the one in Laconia, they actually um, picked my band, Northern Stone, to be one of the openers. Um, to open that up, and there was like 20,000 people there, so that was really cool. That was cool. So they're, they're really good guys. Justin Spencer is the driving force and uh, creative guy behind that, a New Hampshire-based guy, and um, so we're looking forward to seeing I remember when they played at Pratt Auditorium. Yeah. That, were you a seventh grader? We had to have been in middle school yeah, at that point. Yeah, I was still in middle school. I think we, Eric and I were in eighth grade when that happened. That was really cool. That was really cool to see that. And then a couple of years ago, they put out a thing on their Facebook. Um, if you're a New Hampshire-based band and you want to open up for us for our opening of our store, um, submit you know, yourselves or have people submit. And we were one of the three bands picked to open for them out of like a thousand entries. So, What do they sell at their store? Uh, t-shirts. Is it um, just like merch? Yeah, basically merch. Merch, basically. T-shirts, swag, you know, clothing. Um, you know, posters, they do a lot of really cool, uh, you know, viewer, listener and, and fan related type merch. They have like polls, uh, where, where they vote on certain designs and certain things. And, uh, you know, Justin really focuses on, you know, mental health and anybody who's struggling with like addiction or any, I, I'd love to have him on and talk to him. Maybe we could have him on the podcast. I'll certainly try and work on that, but we're excited that they're going to be coming to Keene. That's going to be a great thing for the community. We'll go check that out. You know, in Family Guy, when Stewie's like, my body, that's by John Mayer. That's the way John Mayer says it. I'm really into it now. You better be okay with it. F- Family Guy, they got a new season going? Or, I mean, I they're still doing new episodes. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm, I'm bringing up John Mayer because he got a TikTok going. He launched it this week on Monday. And, wow, dude, Taylor Swift's fans came at him hard. Came at Why? him hard. They're responding in kind. Yeah, because I guess they, t- well, Taylor Swift and Mayer were a thing 10 years ago when he released like around Battle Studies, which was 09. She was a thing with everybody. It's true. 
And they, they you did. dated Eric at one point, right? Taylor. That's Taylor gotta be like a sign that no one wants to stay with her. Nobody dated. You did. That's. I mean, that's true. Hum. You'll end up on an album. But uh, Mayer got on there, and you know he's Mayer's basically a boomer. He was born in like '77, October of '77. He's you know, he's basically a boomer, and um, he got on there, put on his first post, and someone, <laughs> the top response said, "You're not safe here, John." <laughs> oh. Another user added, "We will never forget what you did to our girl Taylor." And uh, I think he dated Jennifer Aniston too. Oh yeah. Oh dude. Most of his album battle studies is he wrote and there. Look, I'm unabashed. I'm a huge John Mayer fan. You've seen him twice, right? I've seen him twice. I'm here to defend him. His music. I'm here to defend his honor. Uh, I love John Mayer. I love his voice. His he's one of he's one of the best guitar players in the last twenty years. I'll I'll battle anybody on that. Even had Eric uh, Eric Clapton sing his praises. Um, he's at Crossroads Music Yeah, Fest. he's a he's a hell of a musician. He writes great songs. They're catchy. I love pop music. I just I love I love John Mayer's music. But uh, you know, I can kind of see the Taylor Swift fans uh, side of this. Uh, I heard he's kind of a dick though oh, to women. Oh, I mean, of course he is. Look, he's fucking. You know he's a dick, Mike. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. SNL skit. Yeah, yeah. his skit on uh, the Chappelle Show. Uh, yeah, the way white fight riff. Yeah, the way white fight riff. The white people dance. It's actually yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, he's even acknowledged in Rolling Stone interviews that he he like he was a douche. He was a narcissist. He's trying to work on his ego, and I th- I think he probably has a lot, yeah. mostly in the last several years. But this is pretty good. And then one of the one of the Swift fans on the on the TikTok post wrote, "Oh my God, isn't this the old guy Taylor Swift wrote a song about?" <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> But um, yeah, Dear John is the song that Taylor Swift wrote regarding the relationship with Mayer, painting a less than flattering portrait of the singer. The two were rumored to have dated between 2009 and 2010 following Taylor's split with Twilight star Taylor Lautner, who's an amazing actor. A hashtag Team Jacob. Amazing actor. He was the werewolf. But uh, John Mayer told Rolling Stone he was really humiliated by the song Dear John, blasting the thinly veiled lyrics as cheap songwriting. Um, yeah, but wow. how many songs did he write that were about? They did half of my heart together, right? Didn't they do no, that? That was um, oh yeah, yeah. That was that, t- isn't that him? He and t- t- yeah, that's a he, great song. He by wrote the way. Paper Doll about Taylor Swift. But um, no, I'm here for it. You know, I mean, de- I'm definitely here for it. And um, but you like Taylor Swift though too. I I love her her collaboration with with Bon Iver. There's no denying Taylor came out Swift. last year. Yeah, that, I'm on both her teams. I think they're both great. You know, this is pop culture. But uh, John, I love you. You know, stay strong there on TikTok. That's all I got to say about that. He does have a lot of good songs. He's not he does. that old. He's forty three. Y- yeah, he's yeah, he's forty three. Taylor Swift like thirty one. She's born in eighty nine. Yeah, she's like so. She's barely thirty. Oh yeah, he's a little older. A little older. Yeah. So he knew what he was doing. You know where he was born? Connecticut, Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Ah. Bridgeport, Connecticut. Right. Now, did he go to Berkeley? He left Berkeley, or yeah, yeah. he attended, but. He didn't finish. Yeah, he did Berkeley for a little bit, and then he bailed and moved down to Nashville with a guy named Atlanta. It, sorry, you're right, Atlanta with uh, Clay Cook. Clay Cook. And um, they they were in the Lo-Fi Masters, which was a band they had together. The two of them, a duo. Mayer wanted to move more in a pop direction, and Clay Cook probably I think was maybe more country or just didn't want to go. Yeah, that he played. He plays in Zach Brown band. Zach Brown band. That's right. He's he was in the Marshall Tucker band for a little bit. Okay. 
So they're in Atlanta, and Mayer hit the scene down there and started getting known, and uh, he had the material for what would become Room for Squares. That's a, that's a great album. It's a great album. Continuum is a great album. Heavier, th- Heavier Things is the second one. Second album, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is no denying any of yeah. it. He's now like touring with the Grateful Dead, or he was, or... Yeah, he's I, I'm not. I'm not really. Dead. I'm not a fan of the. Yeah, Grateful. I'm going to just put that out there. I don't listen to the Grateful Dead. I don't do acid. I don't. I don't really like their music. I don't like that whole scene. I'm just not involved in it. Not a fan of the jam bands. No, not at all. Me either. Just as much as Andy is a fan of uh, Angels and Airwaves, right, Andy? <laughs> we'll have, we're going to have Andy on. Oh, yeah. To talk music, we're going to talk Tom Petty. We're going to talk all that shit. No. 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 <laughs> no. But. Uh, yeah, no, you know, John Mayer, he, he does get shit on a lot, but the, he's one of those artists where it's like there's no denying the talent. He's awesome. Dude, he's so good. Yeah, I love him. I love you, John. He's got the John Mayer trio, you know. His, uh, his song on the bucket list. Say what you need to say. Yeah, yeah. Was that that movie with Jack Nicholson? That's a, that's a yeah, good Jack song. Jack Nicholson and uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh, right. Wow, that movie must have come out almost 10 years ago. I think it's older. Uh, it might even be older yeah, than I that. Think, I think it was in the army when it came out. It's older than that. Jack yeah. Nicholson's like all but retired now. He just goes to Lakers games and eats chicken fingers. Yeah, 2007. You better put the basket in the fucking hoop or I'll beat your brains in. 07 is when it came out? Yeah. So they were old then. Now imagine how old they are. Now, now they're doing like Las Vegas. Like, we're going to go to brunch one more time. That's like the movie now, them not pooping their pants on their way to brunch. <laughs> That's like the movie that, that like Marco Kine and Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson are trying to make now. Like, not shitting themselves on the way to brunch. He's made, Morgan Freeman's made some amazing movies, though. He has. No, he, he, he's he been in some great movies. He was in uh, Lean on Me, which came out in the 80s. Seven, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, oh yeah, seven. The ones he did is Alex Cross with uh, Ashley Baby. Judd. Yeah, yeah, Million Dollar Baby. Directed by Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, who, you know, um, uh, Gran Torino is now being canceled, or at least one of the actors is saying that they regret being in the film. Correct, um, yeah. His, his uh, co-actor there. Um, I, I watched that probably in the last couple of years again. You know, Yeah, I mean, and B. Vang, I th- his name. Yeah, they're part of the... They're, um, I don't want to butcher the... Uh, the name or the culture it's hong or the uh i don't remember i i forget because yeah th- i mean there's stereotypes and there were things in that film that are pretty you know pretty outright racist and and you know prejudice sounding and but you know part of the i th- i think part of the you know nucleus and and redemption arc of that film is clint eastwood um who, who i believe plays a korean war vet his name is like Walt Kowalski or something. His wife dies. Yep. And he's struggling with the young Catholic priest who's trying to tell him about loss and grief and life and morality. And he's this young dude who's, you know, obviously a virgin trying to tell Clint Eastwood, who's like, you know, in his 80s about what's what. And he's living in a neighborhood where there, he's, you know, he's become one of the last white guys there. And he's got, he says a lot of racist things. But there are a lot of, of people from that generation who, you know, who did say that or even still do say that. And um, it doesn't excuse that or, or, you know, make it okay. But that's how they grew up and that's how they talk. They don't sugarcoat things. They don't hide their prejudice. And I think that's based, that composite character is based on a very real place where a lot of our older relatives, um, a lot of them have passed on or, or they are now. You hear them say these things and it's, it's fucking cringe. But that's like a that's a truth. Clint Eastwood was delivering a truth with Gran Torino. But now one of the co-stars, Eric, is 
he, he regrets being in it. Oh, yeah, saying... The, the main guy, right? The main co-star, Ricky? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, uh, B. Vang, but I'm sure he didn't regret the paycheck he got. Is he the one that Clint gives the car to? Yeah, he's the, he's the young boy. Now, they're from the Hwang, right? Hwang, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I need to look more into that, but... Uh, no, that movie, uh, to me, was acknowledging generational racism. Yeah, it's not it's not like making Clint out to be like this perfect, like, you know, he he's basically like, you know, it's in the age of anti-hero, you know? Yeah, he's a racist old fuck, but he's also a veteran that served our country. Um, he's not perfect. His own family doesn't want to, his kids don't want to have much to do with him. They don't want to deal with him. They, know they just want his money in his car. Well, yeah, right, exactly. So it's, 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 it's interesting because it's not just black and white. It's not just, there's, there's actual, like, gray area. Well, wasn't the whole point of the movie is basically to have two people who transcend their differences to, you know, create this unlikely human bond? Exactly. Wasn't that, like, the whole thing? Dude, that's just, like, some, <laughs> that sums up the whole movie, Mike, right there. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, at one point he's like, God damn it, I'm more like them than my own family. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. A, exactly. That's a great moment in that film. Yeah, you want want to reboot something, re- remake something? Just do a Gran Torino. We'll do a Gran Torino let's remake. Get, let's get Ben Shapiro to fucking produce it and Gina Carano to play the female fucking uh, Clint Eastwood character. I mean, look, okay, look. Obviously, we're gonna have somebody else play Clint Eastwood. We're, we're gonna have the chair that he had was on stage. The RNC is gonna play him in the reboot. No, no, I, I think Gina Carano should play like like a based veteran of some some kind of galactic war. Wait, so they're gonna reboot Grand Torino? Like his, his like granddaughter? It's gonna be called Grand Millennium, hum, hum, Grand exactly. Falcon, like the yeah. Millennium Falcon. Yeah, he's the, she's the granddaughter, but she fought you know in Star Wars wars, but it's it tied in related to Clint Eastwood. She was in the woke wars, so she was like part of the like Last <laughs> Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, where it was all woke. Like the Imperial Guard, where they were they you know they were woke. They were still killing the, the rebels. But they were also doing the coke uh, sensitivity training, right? So they have Gina Carano there. They have Clint. They're having breakfast. They're having their pancakes. Clint has a cameo as a force ghost because he's dead. They're not going to put Aunt Jemima syrup anymore on the pancakes. Gina no. Carano teaches Clint to put something neutral on the pancakes. Yeah, something else. Something else. And that's that's where that's a teachable moment. It is. I think that'd be a great cross. That's a crossover. We could have a new Grand Torino Star Wars. John Favreau and Disney and the stockholders yeah. come together and come up with something. Think about this, because you, you could get some of the right-wingers to come on board. Absolutely. They don't even need to CGI Clint, dude, because he's still alive. They can force ghost him. He's like, what is Clint, like 91? He's, he's like 90. He's He's, he's got to be 90, 91 years old. I love the movie he did as the World War II veteran, The Mule, where he's carrying the drugs oh, over the border. Oh, so good. That was actually a great flick, and he's actually slated to act in another one coming out called uh, Macho Baby or... Um, I think he's directing and acting in it. It's supposed to be. Co- He'll be ninety-one in May. What's it called? The one he's doing? He's doing. An- he's doing another film. Um, I mean, look, hold on, I'm looking. I forget the name of it, but I think it has to do with like border crossing. I mean, there's no doubt, dude. He's like cry a- macho, cry macho. In October of 2020, it was announced that Eastwood would direct, produce, and star in an adaptation of the 75 novel. Cry Macho for Warner Brothers. Production of the film began in New Mexico on November 4th and concluded on December 16th. So it's in the can. So 90 years old directing Woody Allen, eat your heart out. Yeah. Woody Allen could have a comeback, dude. Him and Trump could come back at the same time. That I'm series, putting Woody Allen on the ticket. He's going to be my VP, okay? He's incredible. That's That series is still going, and you know they're, they're, that hasn't reached its conclusion yet. 
Yeah, we're we're, we're following that. We're we'll gonna, keep, there's more to come with that. We'll keep you monitor. We'll, we'll monitor that and keep you up to date. It's now been ten years since Charlie Sheen had his epic meltdown. A winning, a winning. Remember in 2011, dude, he was like a winning, a winning. He was being paid like a million dollars an episode to do Two and a Half Men. He's everything, dude. He had a complete meltdown, <laughs> and he turned into a tour. I know. We had friends who went and saw him in Connecticut, dude. He burned like he burned a uh, Two and a Half Men bowling shirt. Bowling shirt. He was on stage smoking. There was no like plan. There was no or direction script or. Wasn't it supposed to be like a stand-up comedy tour or something? They didn't even like show up to some of them. <laughs> <laughs> they took their money and it was just like, yeah. Mike, what was the name Tra- of the tour? The Violent Torpedo, Torpedo of Truth, Truth Tour. Owen, that's right. Chime Levine. A winning. A winning. A winning. Corey Feldman has since come out and said that it was, in fact, Charlie Sheen that raped his friend and co-star Corey Haim on the set of Lucas, which is probably true. Yeah. Although Corey Haim's mother has denied it and said right. she doesn't think it was Sheen, it was somebody else. But then Feldman had a bunch of people in that movie saying this among certain circles. This was like an open, an open secret. Open secret. Yeah, which is another great documentary. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Is it? Do you believe Corey Feldman? You know, Corey Feldman is a product of that whole environment. I mean, you know, being basically pimped out by his parents for Burger King commercials when he was like three years old. You know, he, he killed Jason Voorhees. You know, he was in The Goonies, License to Drive, Lost Boys. I mean, he, Turtles. He was the most bankable child star of the 80, of the 80s, I, I would argue. Wasn't he doing a film or documentary? Yeah, he did um, The Two Corys, uh, The Rape of Two Corys, My Truth, which came out, I think, last year. And it was like, it came out and then it just went. It just like disappeared. Didn't even hear about it. They buried it. Yeah. You think someone got to him? You know, yeah, he said that. He said that the live stream may have gotten, the servers may have gotten crashed or, or messed with or, um, but, you know. By the he, wolves. He's not a player like he used to be, man. He's not like an, he's not. No, he's. It, it he's, doesn't mean what he's saying is not true. It just means that his brand and ever, what, what he's doing has been tarnished. But also, on the other hand, he won't say a bad thing about Michael Jackson, right? Well, he's or saying I of? can no longer defend him is what he's saying about Michael Jackson. You know, which is, you know, I think Macaulay and Corey Feldman probably know a little bit more about Michael Jackson than they're saying. You know, I mean, is that normal to be friends with like a nine-year-old kid and like a nine-year-old monkey ape named Bubbles? Say my please. Please. Your peers peers are a monkey and nine-year-old children. (laughs) Please. Please. Yeah, looking back on that, dude, the interviews that Michael Jackson did where he's holding the kid's hands and... What was it? it was uh, living with Michael the Martin Bashir documentary, which is uh, a must, a must watch. So, looking back on all that with uh, a different lens, but yeah, Corey Feldman, you know, Lost Boys, great vampire flick, one of the best of the '80s, directed by Joel Schumacher, great soundtrack, um, launched helped launch Kiefer Sutherland's career, Jason Patrick, yeah, it's, it's a great flick. The, the kid from Bill and Ted is in it. The Bunnymen's on that soundtrack. Well, actually, when the Bunnymen do, they cover People Are Strange by the Doors for that. They got the dude who's all jacked with the long ponytail who looks like Dog the Bounty Hunter playing the saxophone on the beach. <laughs> that guy's still... He does cameo videos now, that guy. You can hire him for a cameo What does video. he get per? I'm not sure. Hopefully, hopefully enough to pay the bills, but... It's all great stuff, you know? It's all, uh, it's all part of our zeitgeist, and we're, we're pretty much here for all of it, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Well, you know, this is uh, this has been fun. It's been been good chat with you guys, and I'm just looking forward to spring. Spring's coming. Looking forward to spring. Hopefully, we can go to some shows. Um, the Bruins are allowing. 
lot. What's the number? I think it's like 12%. 3,000 people? <laughs> so the garden fits, what, 17.5? Yeah, so we'll probably be like 3,000 people they're going to allow in there to go to games. But I would imagine they're going to offer those tickets up to season ticket holders probably first and, you know, whoever is whoever. But if I had a chance to go, you know what, man, I'd go to a Bruins game. Of course. I would go. So I'm going to – Poopsie and I are keeping our eyes on that. We're going to – we're going to look at that. And What's Ray Bork's uh, North End uh, restaurant? Tresca. Tresca Prime or just Tresca? Just Tresca. Yeah. We, we should go there, too. We'll do that, too. But, yeah, we uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and uh, thanks for spending some time with us and checking us out. And, you know, we'll keep doing these and, and keep it coming for you. we got all kinds of great stuff to talk about. we got some interviews coming up with people. So thank you for tuning in, and uh, wherever you are, be safe, be happy, And thank you for listening to Jackman Radio. Have a good one.